unattainable uh, reality, mere allegory. Uh, we believe she's a real woman. And she models for us that wisdom is not abstract philosophy. Wisdom is not simply um, to remain in the level of um, abstract thoughts and beliefs. It's to take concrete form in our lives and be worked out in practical ways. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Um, and we're going to really get into that this morning. She'll, so she is here. She presents herself as a model for all godly women to imitate as wives and mothers. And she is a model for all godly men to pursue if they're unmarried and to treasure if they are married. So look at the back of your outline with me. And I showed you this last week. We're going to not spend a lot of time on it here. Show you the uh, how this passage is put together. Get this up and running. So this is what I call the, the literary structure of the passage. Again, I don't want to get too technical, and the only reason we do this is because we've said over and over that to get the main point of the passage, you see I have the passages put together. You don't know fully what a passage says until you know how it says, how it communicates what it is teaching. So let's look really quickly here. We have seven, uh, three, seven verse sections, a beginning of three verses and a conclusion of four verses, seven verses. And then you have two core sections in the body of seven verses each, and they're both chiasms. And we're going to walk through that. It's very intentionally put together. And we're going to see really the main point is just knocked out of the park when you see it um, in the structure that it's originally put together. Uh, I don't think I'm coming up with this. I think it's very intentional um, how it is how it's put together. So this week we're just going to be on verses 13 through 19. Okay, they're, they're, they're walking in this stair-step fashion to a pivot point in verse 16. And we're going to unpack that. Then next week we'll be, we'll be down here in this next seven-verse section, verses 20 through 26. So if you will, let's read through it. I'm going to read through the entire passage this morning and um, the entire poem, and then we'll, we will dive in. So this is where we were last week in verses 10 through 12 says, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels, than corals, is what we said. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing palms. That's literally what it says. She's like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises like a lioness, is what the picture is, while it is yet night and gives prey to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her palms she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, and she makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. Her hands she puts to the distaff, and her palms hold and then you can read the, the rest on your own. We'll get to the rest next week. But this is where we're going to be um, this morning. So last week we were in verses 10 through 12. And we learned there that the, the main point of that section is the great value 
and the worth of such an excellent woman. We said that this phrase, the excellent wife, it, it has the idea of a, a valiant wife, that a woman of valor. It's, it's actually presented as a heroic warrior, actually, um, and she is of great value. She's not only characterized by physical strength, but by moral and spiritual strength and fortitude. Um, and she is very costly. She embodies wisdom, and so she is just as priceless and valuable as wisdom itself. Um, and she is also of extreme worth to her husband. Um, the leadership and the, the calling of her husband as king, leader in the nation, will rise and fall depending on what kind of woman he marries. This kind of woman will not sap his strength like lustful cravings for women we saw in the first nine verses. She will add to his strength and his ability to rule well. There's a lot more we talked about last week. Um, and if you need, we have a, another outline in the back. You can grab that. But this week, we are now going to dive into really her activities. What makes her such a valiant wife? Why is she such worth to her husband. And um, so what we're going to do this morning is a little different than what we normally do. I normally try to weave in some implications, but this morning I'm just going to try to walk us through and try to get what's going on here. What is she doing? What What is this passage saying in the original context? And then end with some um, applications and implications for us. Um, so if you're wondering, what does all this mean? What does this have to do with us? We'll get it at the, at the end. So I've titled this section, Her Abundance is Acquired. And you can't really see it in English, but in Hebrew, it's so clear. This section, the first word of the entire section is the verb. It's fronted. In other words, it's her activity. It's her industry. It's her skill that's put in the forefront. That is what is the main point of this section, her activity. She's doing lots of things here. It's her activity and industry and great economic prosperity she brings to the whole that is highlighted. So we're going to walk through this frame by frame, and we're going to begin in the A frame, verse 13 and verse 19. So let's read that again. She seeks wool and flax, and she works with willing palms. Now this word, the palms, is a key word, and notice again, it's on the outer frame. Her hand she puts to the distaff, Holds the spindle. It's very intentional. This is the outer frame, and we're going to look at how these two verses relate to one another. Verse 13, we're told that she seeks wool and flax. Now, these are the two primary materials that were used for the production of clothing at that period of time. These clothes were either made out of wool or they were made out of flax. And all of us know what wool is, but flax really isn't so familiar. At least it wasn't for me. Well, flax is a plant. It grows about 20 inches in height or so. And uh, it was quite actually a lengthy process of production. You would first grow the plants. You would pull them out by the roots, gather them together, and you would lay it on your rooftop to dry. Um, so think back to Rahab, uh, the prostitute, in the book of Joshua. Where did she hide the slaves? She hid them on uh, the, the, the spies. She hid them on the roof under the piles of flax. She was going through this process here. This is what they would be, how they were cured. And then after they were laid out on the roof to dry, the flax would then be uh, opened up and the fibers would be pulled out of it, extracted, 
Then they would be soaked in water and re-dried. And then they would be laid in order to be finally spun into thread and into yarn. It's a long process. It required lots of industry. Um, and it was not easy. So this verse tells us here that she seeks wool and she seeks flax. Um, I think the idea is she's probably going to the public marketplace to seek these raw textiles, these raw materials to bring home and now go through this lengthy process of production. So I think what's being emphasized here is her diligence. It requires a lot of work. She's not afraid of toil. She's not afraid of labor. Um, she doesn't sit around and wait for her ship to come in. She uses the money that's in her possession that her husband has provided, and she causes it to increase. She now goes to the marketplace and obtains these raw materials and brings home. Now look at the uh, next line in verse 13. It says she works with palms, literally, palms of delight. So her diligence is matched by a godly heart attitude of delight, of joy. She does not look on work as a curse, but as God's designed way for life. Just like all of Proverbs is emphasized to us. She willingly and joyfully works and labor for the well-being of her husband. And of her household. That is her driving force. She is not suffering under the egalitarian dominance of a, of a patriarchal husband. That's not what's going on here. She is joyfully giving herself to the success of her husband, as we're going to see in the whole structure of this poem, and the well-being of her household. And she does it with delight. She's filled with joy. She's not a slave. She's not suffering. This is what fills her with joy. With delightful poem. She's now drop your eyes down to verse 19, the outer frame. Look what it says. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands, or palms, hold to the spindle. Um, again, the, the word palms is a key word, and the theme of verse 13 and 19 are, are the same. So verse 13, she has the raw textile materials, and now in verse 19, what is she doing? She's converting these into yarn and into thread, which will be used for the production of clothing. Um, now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about ancient spinning techniques because probably put you to sleep and we don't have time, but Naomi is making fun of me this week because I spent a couple hours reading up on ancient spinning methods. It's really interesting, actually. It, it really is. Um, but look at the word there, distaff. Uh, let me explain this word for really quickly. It's a really unique word in Hebrew. It, it's only one-time occurrence, and so there's obviously a lot of debate about what this word means. Uh, who knows what the distaff was? Anybody familiar? You know what it was? I think it's the, the pointy thing, isn't it? Nope. It's, it's a little different. Yep. Okay. That's why I, I sort of thought it was something like that, too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I looked up on it. The distaff, do you know? Yeah. The distaff is where they put the thread in. Yeah, so... Good, sort of, yes. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a long pole, and they put the raw materials on top of the pole, the wool and the flax, and the woman would tuck it under her arm here, here, and she'd pull out some fibers and attach it to a spindle. When you think of spindle, don't think of a wheel, like you sort of see in the movies. That came much later. It was a tool in her hand, like a stick, and she would just go like this, and it would pull the fibers and convert them into thread. Um, the only problem is a distaff doesn't appear until much later in European societies. And so that's probably not what this thing is, is that it's not a distaff. 
Um, the best guess that I've read, this, this tool refers to what is called a doubling spindle. Notice, how many hands does she use? What does it say? She puts her hands, plural, she uses both hands to operate this tool. The distaff, you don't even use a hand. You tuck it under your, your arm. Uh, the doubling spindle was actually a, quite a piece of technology. It, it was used to take single-ply thread and re-spin it into double-ply or triple-ply thread. In other words, this is quite a piece of technology. It required much skill and much effort and labor. It required two hands to operate. And it produced things that were of great value and of great worth. This is artistry that is going on here. This is art and skill um, that she is putting forth. Walke said this about clothing. He said the goal of her work is to produce clothing, a symbol in the Bible of intelligence, industry, intelligence, and when worn, of glory. So that's how it begins. This outer frame, her industrious activities, teach us her diligence, her skill, her art, her production, and her delight. Now look at the B frame, verse 14 and 18. It teaches us about her mercantile Revenue, mercantile obviously meaning in the marketplace with merchants trading and, and selling. Verse 14 and 18. Let's keep going off, so I'll just, just read it here. Verse 14. She's like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. And then verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise, same root word, is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. So you see how they are clearly in parallel with, with each other. Um, these verses are also linked not only by the key word merchant so the merchant is the key word but they're also linked by the key idea of prosperity Okay, so we're going to look that is what is going on here so it's logically following the previous frame the first frame she's taking these raw materials converting them into clothing and now this second frame she's now going back to the marketplace with the clothing she has made to sell them and to bring home Revenue um, from what she has sold. It says she is like the merchant ships. She's like a fleet of merchant ships. Okay, well, how is she like a fleet of merchant ships? What does that mean? I think the idea is that a merchant ship would travel from one location to another destination, taking goods, valuable goods, to trade with, and they would bring something very valuable back home. That's exactly what she is doing here. She's going to the marketplace with these valuable pieces of, of clothing she just spun, and she goes and trades with them, and she brings home costly food. Triple Augman writes, the woman works with her hands to produce products she can sell in the public market, and then she buys food and brings it back to sustain her household. But notice there in verse 14, it's food from where? From afar. It's from far countries, is the idea. Um, so the picture here is she's not just bringing food. She's bringing back foreign delicacies to her home. This is costly stuff. She's filling her home with, with an abundance of, of costly, valuable, exquisite, exotic foods. Now drop your eye down to verse 18. This verse tells us that she prospers through her merchandise. It says she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. It's good, successful, as she takes and sells and look at that second line. It says, her lamp does not go out at night. Or literally, her lamp is not quenched at night. So this is another one of those verses that make it seem like this woman is beyond the actual attainment of anybody. I mean, who could work this hard 
And so she's not sleeping at night? Is that what it's saying? Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. Because what is the theme in these verses? It's not her labor. Her labor was in verse 13 and 19. These emphasize her prosperity. And in that culture, to have your lamp burning all night meant you were a wealthy person. You could afford the oil that it took to keep the lamp burning in the house. It highlights her prosperity, not the fact she doesn't sleep. That's not what's going on here. For your lamp to go out in the middle of the night means that uh, you're in poverty and that there's actually much danger. We do the same thing today. We leave a lamp on at night. Um, you wake up in the middle of the night, it's not pitch black. Uh, there, there provides some safety and some security. That's the idea. That's the idea here. Her home is well cared for because of her hard work. Next, we come to the C frame. And her character of self-sacrifice and strength is highlighted. Look at verse 15 and 17. It says, She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidservants. In verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. Verse 15 pictures her as a lioness, selflessly giving herself to provide food for her home. It says she rises while it is yet night, and the word is literally she gives prey to her home and sufficient food for her maidservants. And uh, this is another one of those verses that sounds like verse 18, her lamp doesn't go out, so now she's getting up before dawn. So this woman never sleeps, right? And again, it misses the imagery. The idea is not she's not sleeping, but just as a lioness rises and selflessly gives herself to provide food for her home, she's doing the same for her family, for her home. The word prey almost always used for what lions get in hunting in the Bible. So verse 11 pictured her bringing spoils of war home for her husband. And now verse 15 pictures her going out and getting prey, hunted animals, bringing it home. So so it's highlighting this woman is, is strong, skillful, and overcomes all the obstacles that are posed for providing for her family. The point is to highlight her self-sacrifice to her home, to make sure it's well cared for. Walkie says that this imagery should not be interpreted literally. A lioness hunts food by night, but not an aristocratic woman. The figure connotes that in keeping with her character. She puts the well-being of her household for her own comfort. Through her self-sacrifice, her home is well cared for. It's taken care of. So verse 15, she's pictured as this lioness, self-giving for her home. And then verse 17, she's pictured as a warrior, mighty and strong. It says, she girds up her loins with strength. You you know the picture, it's gathering up your loose garments and tying them around with the belt so you're not hindered. You're you're preparing for action, is the idea. Um, And it also says she, she makes her arms strong, highlights her ability to... Succeed. She prepares herself physically and spiritually for the work, the task ahead. Walke says both versets represent her spiritual preparation for hard work and her physical competence to accomplish it. The idea of the verse seems to suggest that the woman is a warrior in the battle of life, says Longman. She goes out and fights on behalf of her family and comes back with the victor's spoil, which allow her family to thrive in the midst of much conflict. This is quite a woman. She is she's active, not lazy, self-giving, full of delight uh, for her home. 
And now we come to the center point, verse 16. This is what it's building up to. So it's very logically progressive. You see that? She first begins with raw materials. Conversion of clothing, goes back to the marketplace, trades with them, acquires an abundance, brings it home. And in all of that, she's like a selfless lioness, giving herself for her home, and a mighty warrior overcoming all obstacles. And here is the center point, her increased productivity. Look at verse 16. She now considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. This is the height of her production. And she doesn't cease producing. She only increases more. She began with just raw materials. And now she purchases a costly vineyard. Her wisdom's revealed in her careful planning. She's not haphazard. She's prudent. And then her wisdom is revealed in her continued productivity. She just doesn't only prosper in the marketplace. She now uses the revenue to purchase a field. Look what it says in that second line. It says, with the fruit of her hands. This is the fruit of her palms. So the money she earned from selling what her palms produced, the textiles, she now uses that revenue to do what? To now purchase a costly vineyard. Vineyards are the most costly pieces of land. And then to cultivate a vineyard requires tons of work uh, and much, much money. Um, she's an industrious woman. And uh, we don't have time. You can go over to Isaiah 5, verse 1 to 2, to see all that is involved in planting and cultivating a vineyard. It's quite a process. So through it all, she earns an abundance for her home. But what's driving her? What's driving her is her delight and her devotion to her husband and to her home. That is where her focus is at. So we just ran through that, and the question is, well, what's the point um, of all of that? We remember we, we said that this whole section sort of belongs to this, not to get too technical, so this, mass, this macro chiasm that's going through this whole chapter, the pivot point is in verse 23, the, heart, the, the husband sitting in the gates. And so this whole section parallels verse 27. So look down to verse 27. So this whole section that we were just in, parallels on the large scheme, verse 27, and verse 27 explains all of her activities. Verse 27 says, she looks well to the way of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Verse 27 tells us that her wisdom is her diligent devotion to her home. Again, this verse highlights her home is her primary concern and sphere of influence. Doesn't mean she's uninvolved in public life. She clearly is. It doesn't mean she never leaves the home. She clearly does. It's not what's going on here. It just means that whatever she does, she does as a manager of the home. That is her primary focus and concern. She manages her home by keeping watch over its affairs. It says, verse 27, she looks well the idea is she, she keeps careful watch over all the affairs of the home. She keeps a sharp eye out to make sure her home is protected, cared for, and provided for. And second, verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness. She manages her home by rejecting sloth. She doesn't enjoy anything that doesn't come from her toil and her labor. Um, and we're really going to see the point hit home next time in the, in the next section. Um, 
yeah, she, she's out there working and laboring, but this is her focus, it's her home, her role given to her by the Lord. Um, so the question now is, okay, what does that have to do with us? Um, none of us are going to be spinning uh, raw materials into fine linen and selling it with the merchants, I don't think. Um, but there is a very clear application for us. So look at your implication page later. What is the point? First, the point, what it is not, the point is not that these specific activities are to be imitated. They're not. They're very cultural. Um, it's not that if you want to be an excellent wife, you need to spin your own clothing. That's not what's going on here. The activities are secondary. The hard attitude and her focus is primary. That is what is going on here. That's what it means to be an excellent wife. She's a model to be emulated, imitated by all wise women and treasured by all wise men. So what are these specific qualities? Let me just sum them up, what we just saw. Number one, she's characterized by tireless and selfless devotion to the well-being of her home. All of her efforts and energies flow from her embracing her role as supporter and helper of her husband. And his success in this context, in his role as king, and then in our context, is his role as spiritual leader of the home and the primary provider and protector of the home. That is her job. She's a manager of her home and her children, and she dies to her personal desires out of her love for her home. That is an excellent wife. Number two, she's characterized by diligence and hard work and toil. So men and women, all of us, your work is not insignificant, no matter how mundane it seems. It is God-ordained for us to labor and toil in this life. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. And the work of mothers is long and hard, and I'm sure it can feel mundane and tiresome. Obviously, I haven't experienced it, but I've seen my mother, and I've seen my wife. Um, it's hard. It's hard work. It's toil. And um, a lot of times, it is uh, very mundane, changing diapers over and over. <laughs> but it's not a bad thing. It is a beautiful thing, this passage is telling us. It's a good thing. It requires diligence and hard work. Um, but look at number three. It is done with delight. I see it in my life. I've seen it in my mother. And I've seen it in many godly women. Um, how does the phrase go? A man's work is from sun to sun. And a woman's work is what? Never it's never done. And uh, it's true. She toils. It's, it's labor. But she does it with delight. Well, why? How is it done with delight? Well, it's because she fears the Lord. Right? It's these truths of Scripture alive and active in her heart. The truths of the significance of her role. The love for her husband and the well-being of her home drive her. So implication for us, we have to be preaching to ourselves, talking to ourselves, the goodness of where God has placed us, the goodness of our roles as men, as husbands, as wives. Or else we're going to listen to the world, which tells us that the role of wife is insignificant. The role of caretaker of the home is unimportant. It's not true. Drop down number two. And um, just say this really quickly. Recognize the high calling and goodness and distinction of roles of biblical manhood and womanhood. The poem's such a beautiful, balanced portrait 
um, of the godly wife and the godly husband of the roles of both. It avoids both extremes that are out there. On the one extreme, it avoids and rejects the view presented by modern feminists in which women find their identity in rejection of traditional roles, denying headship and submission in marriage, and elevating their prerogatives above their husband, being concerned mainly with their advancement of their career and their success. That is what value is in the, the world's sight. That's what true femininity is. And on the other extreme, this poem avoids and rejects the notion that women and mothers are impotent and incompetent. They just need to stay at home because they can't do anything else. That is clearly not what this poem is teaching us. This woman is characterized by skill and strength and ability. And in fact, the well-being of her home depends upon her. On the one hand, she's devoted to her husband and her home. And on the other hand, she engages in all kinds of activities to bless the home. Andres Kostenberger said it like this. He said, this picture is consistent with God's overall design for women as supportive partners of their husbands. However, this kind of woman in Proverbs 31 clearly breaks the stereotype of a woman who is confined to the home or diminished in her personhood. She's a woman of great resourcefulness, who's a source of strength and inestimable blessing to her husband and children. She's not second class. She's not less valuable. It's not what biblical gender roles mean. She has a different role. She's not less capable. She's a supporter, helper, because of how God designed the home to work. Again, Kostenberger says that motherhood is not disparaged in biblical teaching. Contrary to many in modern society, it is held up as a woman's highest calling and privilege. This exposes the unbiblical nature of feminism that promotes gender equality understood as sameness. So we say gender equality in a sense of value and worth and dignity, but in sameness, there's no role distinction. is unbiblical. And encourages women to forsake their calling in the home for the sake of finding fulfillment in a career outside the home. And so next week, we're going to unpack a little bit more of sort of roles in the home and roles of husband and wives. We're going to go to Paul and see how he talks about similar things in 1 Timothy and Titus. I just asked one question. Does this mean that women should or shouldn't be in the workforce? And I think that that question misses the whole point. That's not the, that's not the point. Um, the question is not whether or not women could or should work. The question is whether or not her duties as mother and wife are being fulfilled. That is the main thing. Everything that comes up under that whether you work outside the home or, or not. And so you can't make a one law that applies to everybody. You've got to work it out with skill within your marriage. Primary responsibility of mothers is the care of their home, the management of their home, and the success of their husband and his calling. So I summarized it there at the bottom. Submission and support, success of your husband and a well-cared home. And husbands, we have a massive weight laid on us. Verses 1 through 9 of Proverbs 31. We have the calling of selfless, sacrificial leadership. If our wives are supporting us in this way, we have a massive calling to be faithful leaders in our homes. So that's the second section, Proverbs 31. And it is uh, it's amazing. When I first read it, it seems like just this string of unrelated verses. Like it's almost 
what is what, what do these verses have to do with one another? Verse 13 through 19. But when you see that structure, then there's a progression going on. She's going from raw materials to massive production in a vineyard. And uh, she's not wasteful. Um, she is prudent. And she's driven by a love for her home and uh, for the role that God has given to her. Uh, it's beautiful and very helpful. Um, next week, we will be in that next section. And we might finish everything up. We'll see. Any questions, comments? Yes. Good. What is the saying? I'm not sure. Yeah. One Ben Franklin said about earlier, that earlier life makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's a good okay. example. Of that. Okay, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. That's true. That's exactly right. So it can apply just to not just to women, but to, to men also. Diligence and uh, self denial. It's good. Anything else? Questions, comments? All right. Well, um, you look ahead, be reading, studying, thinking, um, and uh, we'll dive in next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the clarity it gives. You didn't just create the world and let it go and let us figure out on our own how it should work. You've told us. You didn't leave us in the dark. You created this institution of marriage and family as the first of your creations. And what we get in the Bible is not just cultural. It is instructions. How else are we going to know? Where can wisdom be found, Proverbs says, except in your word? It's only here that we get truth and ability to navigate through life. We thank you. Help us to carefully now apply it in our lives as we go forth. We love you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.